0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Today we begin this new series through the book of Galatians, and just by way of reminder, As we walk through this uh, book together, we invite you to take one of these uh, scripture journals. There are more still in the back, so on your way out, we're just uh, suggesting a dollar for each of these, and it's a great tool for you to take some notes and just have this be kind of the, the guide with you as we go through Galatians. Well, here in Iowa, we love our steak, right? Nothing like a good, tender, juicy steak from Unke's. But imagine I'm, I'm sitting there in the restaurant and uh, the waitress brings out my steak. Everything's perfect, juicy, and tender, and she leaves to go back. And I say to her, Excuse me, uh, could you bring me some ketchup for my steak? She gives me kind of a strange look. Um, gives me the ketchup, I proceed to pour a big plop of ketchup on my my steak all over it. Some of you are giving me like a a look like, what are you doing that for, right? That would be crazy, almost almost sacrilegious. Uh, (laughs) I mean, adding all that ketchup would take away, right, from the rich flavor of the steak, and it, it would almost be an offensive kind of thing to the cook as well. You don't mess with a good steak. You don't doctor it up or tamper with it at all. Because when you try to add to it, you lose it altogether. Now, we know we shouldn't do that with steak. But here in Iowa, when it comes to the gospel, we like to add something to it. We like to mix in a little bit of our good behavior, our church attendance, our overall spiritual performance as a way of making us right with God and keeping us right with God. But as we're going to see, when you add to the gospel, you end up losing the gospel. And we're not the first to do it. It's been going on for a long time. So today, we begin this new series through the book of Galatians. And the main point that Paul is making is this. When you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. But before we jump in, let me just give you a little background on this book. And so Galatians was written around 50 A.D., Uh, one of the first epistles of the Apostle Paul, um, 15 years after Jesus had died on the cross. And notice he's writing this to the churches in Galatia. On the map here behind me, you can see this was a region. It wasn't a city. And there were different churches spread out in this region. Now, if you remember in the book of Acts, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon these apostles, these disciples, and they were commissioned to go with this gospel, beginning with uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and to be Christ's witnesses all over the world. And so Peter was considered kind of the apostle to the Jews, and as you recall, Paul, as uh, he was converted on the road to Damascus, was called and commissioned by Jesus to be the apostle to the Gentiles, the rest of the known world at that time. And so we see him coming into this region of Galatia, probably his first missionary journey, and he's planting churches. Now, let me remind you of what a church is. A church is not a building, right? A church is a gathering of God's people. It's God's people gathered together, worshiping Jesus, grounded on the truth of this gospel. Now, Paul was writing with a purpose mainly to counter legalism and to proclaim the centrality of the gospel of grace. And so the situation there, more like the crisis there in Galatia, was that there were false teachers known as the Judaizers who were convincing these new believers that they had to add something on to the gospel. They were insisting that they had to keep the Old Testament traditions of the law like circumcision, like these dietary laws, like obeying these specific commands and observing these specific days. That was the way you were accepted by God. Basically, believe in Jesus and also become a Jew, and then God will love you. And so Paul, he was preaching the gospel and had established these churches, but evidently it didn't take long before he got wind that some in the church were adding to the gospel and therefore losing the gospel altogether. So he's writing this letter, the letter to the Galatians, in response to this crisis. So let me read Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. This is the word of God. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, And all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So notice in the introduction, Paul is doing two things. In verses 1 to 2, he's defending his right to speak to them. He's defending his apostolic authority. And then in verses 3 to 5, he's defining what the gospel really is, a a simple gospel nutshell. So first, he is defending his right to speak to them. Look at verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not sure if you knew this, but Paul's name literally means small or little, been noted that Paul's physical appearance was not very impressive. More than likely, he was short, he was bald, and he was bow-legged. Not very impressive. And if you remember from 1 Corinthians, he wasn't wasn't a gifted speaker. He wasn't very eloquent. He came in weakness and fear and, and trembling as he was preaching and proclaiming the cross, And here, even in Galatians, later on we're going to see, he was boasting in the cross and boasting in his weaknesses. He was living a cruciform life, which contrasted with his former life of advancing in the ladder of prominence as a Pharisee. Here was a man who was going lower and lower to serve and to proclaim this message of the cross. No wonder people didn't really rally around him or be impressed by him. Yet for Paul, it wasn't about him. It wasn't about the messenger. It was about the message. Paul had a right to speak and speak boldly because he had been given a message from Jesus. Paul was an apostle, which meant that he was... An eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus who had called and commissioned him to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. We're going to look at his calling next week more closely, but clearly he wasn't making this stuff up. This was a message that he had received directly from Jesus himself. Jesus saved him. Jesus chose him. Jesus revealed himself to him. And Jesus called him to go and preach this message. So Paul is defending his apostolic authority here. He's he's speaking with urgency And so we have reason to listen to him and to pay attention to him as we go through this series in Galatians, because this is the very word of Christ through this man. So first he's defending, then he moves to defining. Verses three to five, he's defining what the gospel really is. This is a simple gospel nutshell embedded in the introduction as a reminder to the Galatians. And it really comes down to two main things. What Jesus did and why Jesus did it. What Jesus did and why Jesus did it. So look at verse four. Who, that's Jesus, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So notice Jesus came to give himself for us. Became a sacrifice for our sins. The word for here means on behalf of or in the place of. So Jesus died in your place. That's the gospel. Jesus is your substitutionary sacrifice over and over and over again. The repetition of the scriptures is that Jesus came to die on a cross in your place. Notice, it goes on to say, to deliver us from the present evil age. That word deliver means to rescue, to to free us. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 7 to talk about how the Israelites were freed from slavery, something that you just read in Exodus chapter 14 if you're following along with us in the On the Same Page reading plan. And so Jesus didn't come to be a teacher. He is a rescuer. Verse 1 says that he not only died, but he was also raised from the dead which is an integral part of the gospel, the resurrection of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says it this way, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul is speaking here to Christians, reminding them, this is of first importance what Christ has come to do for you. And in verse 3, it says, He did all of this to give us grace and peace. What is grace? It's God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. And Galatians is all about grace. What is peace? Peace is that deep settledness, that wholeness in your soul, that shalom. It happens because of His grace. So He's come to give us grace and peace. That's what Jesus did. And we receive that by faith, trusting in Him alone. That's what Jesus did, so why did He do it? Look at verses 4 and 5 again. Who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So here's why Jesus did it. He's, he's, he's dying on the cross. He's being raised to new life according to the will of God. So salvation is of God's loving choice. And notice, it's for his glory. To whom be glory forever. Salvation is something he does for his glory. We have no part in our salvation. One book over in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says this, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. To the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glorious grace. Grace. So three times if we would look in Ephesians chapter one, is this chorus, this repetition. This is why you're saved to the praise of God's glorious grace. And so get this: when it comes to salvation, we did the sinning, Jesus did the saving. And that's humbling. It's the heart of the gospel. Salvation's all of grace. The gospel is all of grace. This is why it's so precious to us. This is why it's so glorious to us. So that's the introduction to Galatians. Now, normally at this point in Paul's letters, he pauses to give thanks to these new believers for God's work in their hearts. But here instead, he gets right to business. Most preachers and writers have a pattern of some kind um, I remember a few months ago I was sitting on the couch with, with Harper and I'm like finishing up on a Saturday my sermon. I, I leaned over, I said, Harper, I don't think I'm ready for, for tomorrow. Uh, do you want to come up and give it a shot? Uh, do you want to preach for Daddy? And she got this strange look and she said, okay, um, if you've got a Bible, uh, I invite you to turn to, and if you don't have one with you, uh, the words will be up there on the screen in back of me. <laughs> she She knew the pattern, right? Uh, She could at least do that part. Then she might be a little lost, but um, that was kind of fun. But I do that just so you know, to remind you and to remind me that we're here to listen to God and his word. That's why we're here. But imagine if I got up here on a Sunday and I had this serious look on my face and I was crossing my arms like this and I said, I've got something important I want to tell you. You would think, is there a problem? Is there something going on here? And basically that's what Paul is doing here. He, he, he skips the formal greeting and, and just moves right into this exhortation. You could say that Paul here is appalled. Sorry. Look at verses 6 and 7. show you what I mean. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So, so Paul is astonished. He's genuinely shocked. He, hear his heart. Feel what he's feeling here. He's astonished. By the way, the biblical writers, including Jesus, they had real emotions. They were speaking into real-life situations. And they were responding to these situations. They were, they were human. And, and Paul here is hurt. You can, you can hear it in his voice. He's hurt. These were new Christians. They were turning away from the truth of the gospel. And it can happen to us here as well. We've got to remember, as new Christians were fragile, fickle, susceptible, and invulnerable deception and false teaching. All of us are susceptible to that. But those first few years after you make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ are critical that you continue in the gospel, the real gospel. So imagine this. Paul, I picture him as a loving father here, genuinely concerned. And the way I'm picturing it this week is just, by the way, my daughter's doing really, really well, but I'm picturing him as a dad Who's got a daughter or a son off in college and is hearing back, son and daughter, straying away from the gospel, and how it hurts his heart. It's burdened. That's the kind of emotion Paul has right here in these verses. Now, this word deserted in the Greek language means to change allegiances like a soldier who would fight for the other side. Or we could say to switch teams, like a diehard Hawkeye fan putting on a cyclone shirt. That's serious desertion, right? <laughs> you don't do that unless you've lost a bet. And maybe that's happened to some of you here. But, but seriously, it, it's one thing to switch teams. It's, it's another thing to fight for the other side. But, but a far more serious thing here is to desert the God who rescued you. And notice it happens so quickly Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. It's reminded of the Israelites in Exodus 32, who turned aside so quickly and made for themselves a golden calf. This is what was happening with the Galatians. They had heard the truth of the gospel, but were now putting on a different jersey. Picture it this way: they had, they had put on these new robes of Christ's righteousness and grace. And now. They were turning back to their old, torn, tattered, works-based religious clothing. And that really affected Paul deeply. It hurt him. It wasn't so much, though, that they were forsaking Paul, though he may have felt that way in his humanity. This was deeper than pastoral loyalty. This was idolatry. This was idolatry. They were believing a different gospel, and therefore forsaking God himself. But I see here in these verses, he was not only shocked and saddened that they were so quickly turning away from this gospel, he was also angry, it looks like here, and livid at those who were distorting the gospel, these false teachers, these Judaizers we're perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Literally, they were reversing the gospel. Reversing the gospel. What, what does it mean to reverse the gospel? Well, there's an order to the gospel, right? There's an order to the gospel or an equation for you mathematicians out there. It's Jesus' grace equals salvation plus good works that follow in our lives, right? Jesus' grace alone. By his grace, we are saved through faith. So we have this salvation, and then good deeds will follow. That will be the fruit. But they reversed this message. It was good works plus or added to salvation equals Jesus' grace and acceptance and love for me. That's a problem. That's a different gospel. Or to say it more accurately, that's not the gospel at all. When you put good works, a moral life, your church attendance, the sacraments at the forefront and add it to the grace of Jesus, you poison the gospel. It's like a pure glass of water if I had one up here and I just put one little dropper of poison in it. It's ruined. When you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. Now, In many ways, we Iowans fall into the same trap as these Galatians. This works mentality is something ingrained in us as Iowans, and we don't even realize it. I mean, ours is a culture of farmers and teachers and small business owners, hard workers. I mean, we earn every penny we get, and we're, for the most part, a football state. In a wrestling state, maybe this year, at least for the Hawkeyes, a basketball state. Not so much for the Cyclones, having a rough year. We're a football wrestling state. We're hard-nosed, great work ethic, strong character. Right? We're known for that, hard-working. We're also known for being nice. Iowa nice. Polite and respectful. I think family is also a big deal here. Families, we're tight-knit families, we value family, decades sometimes in the same churches, the same traditions. And I just want to say, for the most part, all of that is really good. We're glad to be Iowans, right? And yet, so much of that is what contributes to what I like to call the Iowa gospel, a different gospel. We have this tendency toward being a good person for God like we actually think that from day 1 I've always been a good person. I've always been a Christian. Just like my parents, just like my grandparents before me. And we jump through these religious hoops thinking that that's enough or hoping that that's enough. Right? Like I I was baptized as a baby. I went to church as much as I could. I got confirmed kind of looked the part, and I just kept being a good person. I worked hard at being good. And we compare ourselves to others who are not as good as we are. So as to justify our goodness. And we totally forget about Jesus. Oh sure, yes, I know he died, he rose again, but that's kind of a, Back in, the for, or back in the background, really at the forefront, is what I've done for God. All the boxes I've checked. It's a sneaky self-righteousness that creeps in and affects all of us. It doesn't matter what church background that you're coming from or coming out of. Remember, um, a couple years ago, I was teaching a starting point class, our newcomers, new members class, and there were, I think, 16, 17 people in there, and 11 different church backgrounds, if you can believe that. So, O'Kill, we welcome you no matter what kind of background you're coming from. And for better or worse, I think we carry those past church experiences into our adulthood, and it often taints the way we think about God and what it means to be a Christian. And let's not forget that even as real born-again Christians, we still struggle to remember our need for the gospel every day. I think there are some of you who, who still think that the gospel is for your entrance into the Christian life and for your exit into heaven. But as far as this gap in between, which represents your life, well, that's about you and what you've got to do to be a good Christian to keep the acceptance, right? To, to keep yourself in the love of God so that he would be pleased with you. And you forget what Paul Tripps calls the nowism of the gospel, the nowism of the gospel. In other words, we can actually think to ourselves, well, Jesus got my salvation started. Now it's my job to finish it. Wrong. The Christian life begins with the grace of Jesus, continues with the grace of Jesus, and ends with the grace of Jesus. It's all about the grace of Jesus. Every moment of every day, we need the gospel every day. Because it's so easy to drift away from the gospel and to forget what we have in Jesus. In Hebrews 2, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Lest we drift away from it. And lots of drifting of snow this past week, wind blowing. There's a danger that we'd be carried away by every wind of doctrine, by a different gospel. We can slowly, inadvertently, just drift away from the gospel of grace. And we can get stuck. You guys ever been stuck in a snowbank? Or stuck as you're pulling out of the driveway. I'm looking at Ryan Saturn. I think you pulled me out at least once. I'm one of my daughters as well. It's not fun to be stuck, it's really humbling because you have to ask for help. And that's why we need each other here. We need to remind each other of the gospel. When we're here together, we're this is something that's happening not just vertically with you and God, it's horizontal. I, I need to see you. And you're worshiping God in the midst of all that you're going through. It encourages my faith to not drift away, but to keep pressing in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need each other in that so easy to drift, so subtle, right? I mean, we start by accepting the gospel, and slowly we just kind of assume the gospel. Yeah, I've heard that. Let's move on to bigger and better things. We assume the gospel, and then slowly we confuse the gospel, and then we start to add to the gospel, and all of a sudden we've lost the gospel. How did that happen? Well, we drifted from the gospel. So, so listen, the, the stakes are high. This really matters. As we walk through Galatians together, this is so, so Significant, Because it's not just how you start out, it's how you finish. There's a lot at stake when it comes to the gospel, which is why Paul's so adamant here that we never lose our grip on the gospel, that we're formed by the gospel. And so what's at stake? Let me close with these three things. What's at stake when it comes to the gospel? Number one, God's glory is at stake. God's glory is at stake. Think about this. If we could add something to what Jesus did for us, wouldn't that make salvation all about us? Think about this. If we could be good enough and have it all together, then we would be singing praises about ourselves every Sunday. right? And we would be walking around the community talking about ourselves, boasting about ourselves and everything that we've done. But that's not the case. The gospel isn't about us. It's about Jesus and his grace for us. So that he receives all the glory and the praise. So number one, what's at stake? God's glory is at stake. Number two, the church's health is at stake. The church's health is at stake. For Paul, this was huge. The church's health depends on its grip of the gospel. Because listen, if you lose your grip on the gospel, you lose Christ himself. So I hope you've noticed this. If you're new to our church, I hope you're noticing this, that we don't assume the gospel at Oak Hill Church. Every Sunday, we're going to speak about it. We're going to sing about it. We're going to pray the gospel. It's all about the gospel. We don't have any other message but the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel isn't just for lost people. It's for all people. We need it every day because we forget it every day. That's why we're here. It unites us and propels us outward on mission with Jesus. What's at stake? God's glory is at stake. Number two, the church's health is at stake. And then thirdly, our very souls are at stake. Your soul is at stake. Notice how serious Paul gets in verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel, he's including himself here, which I find humbling of Paul. But even if we or an angel from heaven... Should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He repeats himself for emphasis to make sure that we know that if anyone believes in a different gospel or preaches a different gospel, that person is headed for eternal destruction in hell. Our souls are at stake. When you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel and you lose your very soul. So as I close, that's why Paul was so emotional here. He loves Jesus. He loves the gospel and he loves people. He wants them to be formed by the gospel. And so do I. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and for the grace that we have in him. It's so easy for us to drift away from that and add on to the gospel our performance, our good day, our good works, and none of that will make us right with God. And none of that will keep us right with God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved and kept forever. Thank you for this grace. In Jesus' name, amen.